In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about sliding in the plug-in, <laughs> unlife lessons, all terror all the time, all signs point to vampire, and finally, a majestic eagle noise. In our discussion of The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) At this point, neither do I. No. There's no. mm -mm. No. 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 We're in a new month, Amanda, and you know what that means. We have a new theme! We have a new theme! Censor this. Censor this. I feel like we need to add a comma. Comma. Motherfuckers. (laughs) Censor this, motherfuckers! I I would also appreciate (laughs) your dicks. Mm, Yes. Read a banned book or a book with controversial subject matter insert eye roll here I I will pull muscles in my eyes with the eye roll I know visions of brains yes why do people want to ban books Claire that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard or motherfuckers and oh. it's always people who don't read and or have never read the book they're trying to ban of course and or are just bigoted to all hell yes and of don't course. appreciate that yes life is diverse and as yes, of books. course yeah yeah that sounds about right <sighs> although i would add a caveat you said don't read i would add can't and can't or can't read, read. <laughs> Yeah. Is it just me? Or if you don't want to read a book about kissing, you don't read that book. Don't read it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You you, you don't want to read a book about space aliens. You don't read it. Don't read it. You don't want to read about murders. You don't read it. Curate your own library and reading intake. Do not curate other people's. Right. You motherfuckers. You make the choices for you, not the choices for everybody else, motherfuckers. And don't give me any shit about self-righteousness or religion or anything like that. It's bullshit excuses. 
you just trying to control other people's lives. Yep, I hate it. And that's my right. life every right. single day. It is. And we should probably get off this sort box, otherwise we'll be here for the next this three is, hours. Yeah, we're just going to be talking about Our censorship. listeners are sensible. Our yes. listeners are great. Our yes. listeners know to read what they like, don't read what they don't like. And don't tell anybody what they can or cannot read. Because our listeners are not garbage people. Yes. Our listeners are not motherfuckers. Or dicks. Or dicks. But you know what? They could be lovable assholes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's also fine. That's also fine. Hashtag always be plugging. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Speaking of always being plugging, we do have new merch coming up on our Redbubble shop. We do. We do. Book club. For our new book club, because we are. We're gonna. We're gonna take a step away. Diversifying book club. Yes, we are diversifying book club. It is no longer going to be all vampires all the time. That is still our, you know, philosophy. However, Mm. we want to talk about some other things with our listeners in our book club. So we're going to try some new things. So make sure you join us the last Tuesday of every month at 5.15 p.m. Central Time. I would love to be able to change that time. Yes. We might have to change the time in the future. So we'll look We'll look at that it as well. But right now, future, still yeah. 5.15 p.m., the last Tuesday of every month. Um, this month, the brand new month of September, we're going to be talking about The Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. So make sure you join in on that chat with us. It'll be a lot of fun. Check out our Facebook and our Facebook book club group. You can buy shirts that match and that may or may not look like they say boob club. Oh, you have to tell everybody. (laughs) Boob club. There are two book club t-shirt designs because one of them, when I typed in our same font that we use for fictional hangover, all I can see is boob club. It says book club. It's a K, but it totally looks like a B. Boob club. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. All boobs all the time. Yeah. And we, I mean, we have another boob shirt. We have several boob shirts. We have Damn You Boobs. We have Decolletage. Mm-hmm. So many good things that you can buy in our Redbubble shop. Is that enough self-promotion? That, that, that's enough self-promotion. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll probably slide in some plugging elsewhere. We, but... we probably will. Slide in some yeah. plugging. I kind of like that. that. I, Write that I, down. I was... Slide in some plugging. <laughs> it but I would also offensive. point out, yes. But I would also point out, it was necessary um, information dump for the listeners, relevant to them, and not just us sorely plugging. Right. Yes, there was key information in that yes. info dump. Okay. So Give I have me some, some background info. Yeah, yeah. So I have some background info. This is from an article in Publishers Weekly like a thousand years ago. And they ask Neil Gaiman, how did you decide to set Bod's story in, of all places, a graveyard? And his response is, 23 and a half years ago, I was living in Sussex in a very, very narrow house. It was tall, thin, and practically every room was on a different floor. I had an 18-month-old son, and he had 
a little tricycle. You can't really let an 18-month-old with a tricycle ride around in a house with all these stairs because he would just go tumbling down. We didn't have a garden either, but just across the lane, we had a country graveyard. I would take my son and his tricycle down all the stairs and across the lane where he would go tricycling around the graveyard very happily. And I would sit on the steps outside watching him in the graveyard. One day I thought, I could do something just like the Jungle Book. And you go, hang on, what? Oh, it makes perfect sense. What? What? The graveyard book is the Jungle Book. Yeah. So then there's a follow-up. Why the Jungle Book? (laughs) And the response is, in the Jungle Book, Mowgli is abandoned in the jungle and adopted by animals and taught the things that animals know. I thought, I could have a boy abandoned in a graveyard who was taught the things that whoever lives in the graveyard knows. So, the graveyard book is the Jungle Book. Yes. Right? Yes. I knew Perfect. this. This is this is a fact I knew. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Do you have any initial thoughts? My darling husband, Colin, has been having a go at me for ages to read the graveyard book. Because it's just one of these Neil Gaiman books that we have on our shelves. I mean, you can see it's behind me. Mm-hmm. If you are a Patreon member, join. Um, Always be plugging. Always be plugging. Um, but it's just slide in the plugs. To... Whatever you it's said. Bypass me. I've read so many Neil Gaiman books, but for so for some reason, the graveyard book, I've never made the time for. More's the pity. Is this because... the first time you've ever read it? Mm-hmm. Holy shit, Claire. Yeah. This is the first Neil Gaiman book I ever read. Really? A hundred years ago when it came out. I mean, not really a hundred years ago. It's not that old, but yeah, My this is the first ever Neil first Gaiman one. was Neverwhere. I've never read Neverwhere. Oh, it's brilliant. The adaptations are rubbish. The like, TV adaptations, absolute trash. Mm. But the book is brilliant. You should have read it. Just before you came to London, actually, that would have been a really good book for you to have gotten into your ear holes. Well, um, I was reading Nine Liars before then. That is true. That which is was true, also appropriate. If anybody doesn't realise, Amanda came to London in secret, and then we met up, and then you can see all of that live episode on YouTube and the audio version for wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. That was a really it's fun delightful. time. That was a really, it's really fun time. Yeah. And it was a great surprise that nobody knew about. I mean, except for you. You knew. I you knew. knew. I had to know. Yeah. <laughs> Fairly imperative. Yes. No. Yeah, so Neverwhere was the first one. But yeah, this is the first time I've read it. And even my mother, I say even my mother. My mother read it. Um, and when I told her we were covering it, she was like, oh, oh, I've read that one. She was very excited because, you know, usually she, I pass the books after we cover and go, Wait, don't spoil. There you go. Yeah. Um, but no, she's very pleased that we that, that we're covering one that she's read. Um, and I'm just sorry it's taken me so so long to get there. It's okay. There's a lot of books in the world, Claire. There is. You can't read them all. I want to. But that can be your goal. Well, no, actually, you know what? Speaking of what we said earlier about cur- curating your own book intake. I don't mm. want to read every single book in the world. I'm not interested in every single book in the world. Right. But I I want to read all the books I want to read. Yes, definitely. And all the ones that we have to read for fictional hangover. 
Yes. Which those 98% of the time are the ones that we already want to read. Well, to be fair, why do you think I push for the Get in the Graveyard book onto the schedule? <laughs> so I could finally get around to read it. I mean, that's a perfect excuse. It's perfect. Yes, but it fits our theme because it was a book they tried to ban because of the themes of murder and the fact that there's so many ghosts. I mean, come on. That's so stupid. But it's fine. It's fine. Should we begin our summary? I think we should. Okay. The knife held by the man Jack, was wet, and he was nearly finished with the job he came to do. He left the woman in the bed, the man on the bedroom floor, and the older child in her bedroom. There was just the toddler left. The man Jack made his way to the boy's room, but as he raised his knife, he noticed the child was not there. Smelling the room, the man Jack knew the child was there. He searched the house, but did not find him. The front door was open, and he looked out. Shops down the street. Houses up to the graveyard. Following his nose, he went up. The boy loved to walk and was forever escaping his crib, and he'd also mastered stairs. Well, going down them. He scooted on his bum. (laughs) This was exactly what he did the night he heard strange thumps. When he reached the bottom step, he noticed the front door was open, invitingly so, and stepped out into the foggy night and went up the hill to the graveyard. Mistress Owens spots the boy and calls over to Mr. Owens. Mistress Owens is won over by the boy's chubby smile, but Mr. Owens is distracted by someone rattling the graveyard gates and assumes it's the boy's family. Suddenly, a ghost appears to Mistress Owens and begs her to look after her son. The graveyard ghosts can tell she's freshly dead and isn't buried in their graveyard. Mistress Owens agrees before the boy's mother flickers away. As she takes the boy into her arms, all the man Jack can see is the baby disappearing into the mist and fog. A tall, imposing man appears next to the man Jack and escorts him out of the graveyard, leaving him with an impression of a kindly groundskeeper helping him, and the thought that there was no baby at all. Josiah Worthington, one of the graveyard's residents, protests the creature in Mistress Owens' arms. Caius Pompeius and Mother Slaughter question how Mistress Owens will look after a living child, but agreeing with Mistress Owens that giving the boy the freedom of the graveyard would be a good idea. The stranger, Silas, comes over and offers to help Mistress and Master Owens if they will be the boy's parents. He will be his guardian. As they look at the boy, wondering his name, they decide he looks like nobody but himself. And that's what they will call him, Nobody Owens. The graveyard chapel, though closed and abandoned, was built sturdily and will make a suitable home for the boy. Silas brings a banana for the boy, which Mistress Owens finds very strange indeed, but the boy seems to enjoy it. Outside, the 300 graveyard residents who don't sleep too deeply to bother with the world congregate to decide on whether or not the boy should stay. The arrival of a great white horse and its rider, the Lady in Grey, stymies the debate. The only thing the lady says to them is that the dead should have charity before cantering away. Nobody Owens is granted the freedom of the graveyard. As it dawns, the man Jack berates himself. He should have gone down the hill, not up, and now the boy is lost. 
months of planning down the drain. As sirens are heard in the background, the man Jack decides he'll have to make suitable inquiries around town to discerning individuals. As Bod grows, he pesters the ghosts with questions, the biggest one being why he can't leave the graveyard. Silas tells him he is safe in the graveyard and needs to master his skills, such as fading, sliding, and dreamwalking. The graveyard will take care of him. Silas arranges for Bod to learn his letters, setting him challenges using the gravestones. One day, while Bod was looking at his ABCs, a girl spots Bod and pulls faces at him. She asks him his name and how old he is. She says she is Scarlet Amber Perkins and she is five years old. She declares that they are friends and helps Bod with his homework until her mother calls for her. Scarlet tells her parents about her new friend who lives in the graveyard, and they condescendingly say, that's nice, and dismiss Bod as an imaginary friend. To be fair, Scarlet does the same to Bod, believing the ghosts are his imaginary friends. Bod and Scarlet play every afternoon. Scarlet asks who the oldest person in the graveyard is. Probably Caius Pompeius? That night, both the children asked their grown-ups who the oldest is, and both told about the Celts before the Romans. Caius Pompeius himself confirms he is the oldest in the graveyard, but there is someone else buried first, pointing up the hill. Caius Pompeius tells Bod that people who go in the hill either come out with white hair, or do not come out at all. It's a strange place. The next day, Scarlet brings a book to the graveyard and proudly declares she found stuff out. But so has Bod. Together, they head up the hill, Bod bringing a special key that opens all the doors. Inside, it's very dark. Well, not for Bod, because he can see in the dark. But the darkness scares Scarlet a little. If Bod holds her hand, though, she'll be okay. When they reach the bottom, a strange noise fills the tomb, and there is a light at the back, which even Scarlet can see. The light turns into a well-preserved man with indigo designs and patterns tattooed on his skin. The man tells them to leave. He guards this place and the treasures inside. While Scarlet is scared, Bod isn't, and he thinks the man is imaginary because Scarlet can also see him. Suddenly, Scarlet is no longer scared as they decide the Indigo Man is like a scarecrow and he is not real. The Indigo Man disappears and the tomb goes dark again. The voice declares he is the Slayer and is charged with looking after the treasure until his master returns. Looking around, Bod spots a brooch, a goblet, and a knife which must be the treasure. Deciding there's nothing there for them, Bod and Scarlet leave. Outside, Scarlet's parents have called the police, thinking the worst has happened. No one spots Bod watching them fuss over Scarlet and her parents arguing with the police. Bod doesn't see Scarlet for three weeks, but then she comes to say goodbye. She and her family are moving to Scotland. One grave in every graveyard belongs to the girls. It's marked, old, and the inscription is worn away. It emanates a feeling of abandonment. This is the ghoul gate. Silas tells Bod he needs to leave for a short time, and Bod isn't happy, but Silas has arranged for someone to look after him. Miss Lepeshu is waiting for Bod in the little chapel, and she is unimpressed with what she sees. (laughs) 
Mr. Pesciu brings Bod food, which he hits. Ugh, vegetable stew and salad. Ugh, freshly made and not fast food for uh, stuff. Delicious! <laughs> Delicious! Come on, and, Bod. And she declares she will continue his education, which he protests. Mr. Pesciu isn't going to teach Bod writing and words like Letitia Burroughs or complete educational system for younger gentlemen with additional material for those of post-mortem, as Mr. Pennyworth does. Instead, she asks what Bod knows about ghouls. Bod only knows to keep away from them, but that is not good enough for Mr. Pesciu. Bod endures his lessons and escapes them as soon as he can, seeing a big grey dog prowling the graveyard that arrived at the same time as Miss Lepeshu, but she denies it is hers. Miss Lepeshu teaches Bod how to cry for help in different languages, including French and Nightgaunt. Mr. Preshu gives Bod a list to memorise, which he hides under a rock and petulantly stomps through the graveyard, eventually stopping at a grave that looks the way he feels. Bod curls up on the grass and falls asleep. Coming up the hill, the shrunken, inhuman forms of the Duke of Westminster, the Honourable Archibald Fitzhugh, and the Bishop of Bath and Wells skulk through the shadows looking for the ghoul gate. They come to a stop outside the ghoul gate, Bod's sleeping form giving them pause, but then Bod wakes up. They introduce themselves before Bod gives them his story, blaming Miss Lupescu for bad food and feeling abandoned. They tell him he should go to the city where he will be appreciated. The city is filled with playfellows and the best food in the world. Bod asks to go with them. Together, they go into the ghoul gate. After the initial darkness inside the grave, the light is red, the sky filled with headstones. Other ghouls crawl outside the headstones along the walls, and Bod is introduced to the 33rd President of the United States and the Emperor of China. <laughs> it's then Bod realises the ghouls intend to turn him into a ghoul. Eventually, this spot on the horizon, Ghoulheim, the ghoul city, they took over like the carrion eaters they are. One ghoul mentions there are night gaunts in the Gulheim skies, and remembering his lessons, Bod calls out, <laughs> Sorry, help. <laughs> yeah, I didn't but understand. I didn't understand what you said. <laughs> it you was perfect night gaunt for help. Yes. But it's quietened by Honourable Archibald Fitzhugh and the Bishop of Bath and Wells. The famous writer Victor Hugo brings out coffin wood and Bod spends the evening listening to the ghouls exalt the virtues of being ghouls and sing ghoul songs over the fire. Surprisingly, Bod is able to sleep. The next morning, a couple from the ghoul party disappeared and the rest pack up quickly, dump Bod into a sack and head to Ghoulheim with haste and less exuberance. Though the ghouls blame the night gaunts, Bod can hear howls in the distance. Inside the sack, Bod finds some old coffin wood and screws and uses one of these to make a hole in the sack. Before Bod can escape, he's pulled out by a huge dog. The ghouls see the hellhound with Bod, make rude gestures toward them, and run for it to Ghoulheim. Bod pushes past the dog and falls down the stairs, but behind him he hears Miss Lupescu. Bod falls again. 
When he finally stops, a night gaunt lands next to him and dog Miss Lepescu bounds over. Miss Lepescu tells Bod she is a hound of God and then Bod climbs onto her back and they bound away from Gulheim. Bod has a newfound respect for Miss Lepescu and a new appreciation for her lessons. <laughs> oh, she's a hellhound. Great. Or a hound of God, whichever you choose. She's a, a monster. A, she's werewolf. a werewolf. I prefer to think, I, I prefer to call her a werewolf. Which reminds me of something that I need to make a note of so we can talk about it later. Okay. It was common knowledge that there was a witch buried at the edge of the graveyard, but Bod was taught to keep away from that part. He didn't venture past the fence, but would go and look. Silas explains to Bod about unconsecrated ground and who gets buried in the potter's field. After, Bod heads to Mr. Pennyworth's lessons on elements and humours and fading. Bod is not good at fading, and Mr. Pennyworth is deeply unimpressed. If anything, Bod seems to be getting more visible. <laughs> Next, Bod has lessons with Miss Burrows, who refuses to answer Bod's questions about the witch and the potter's field. After, Bod climbs the apple tree next to the potter's field to grab the last ripe red apple from its branches. As he is about to grasp it, the branch gives way and Bod lands on the compost heap in the potter's field. When Bod comes to, a friendly ghost who doesn't look that old is standing next to him. Bod asks if she is a criminal or a suicide, which the girl takes offense at. But then Bod realizes this is the witch. The girl confirms she was drowned, burned, and buried without a stone to mark her spot. Then she tells Bod about the night she was dragged from her bed and tested as a witch, which mostly killed her, but then she came back and spat a curse on all who were there with her last breath. Not one of them is buried in the graveyard because the plague took them and they were thrown into a plague pit. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> Bod finally asks her name, and she tells him Liza Hempstock, then points to a cluster of nettles where her bones are. Bod decides he will get Liza a headstone. Bod is distracted by his quest the next few days. He only has £2.53 saved, which he suspects will not be enough. So he hatches a plan to go to the Indigo Man's tomb. The Slayer tries to drive Bod away, warning that nothing ever leaves, but Bod isn't scared. Bod takes the brooch with the Slayer saying, it will come back, as he leaves. Before leaving the graveyard, Bod visits Liza and asks what she would like on her headstone. She simply wants her name with a big E and a big H. Finally, it's time for clothes. Bod heads to the gardener's hut, which has been locked since before Bod was born. Taking some overly large clothes, Bod dresses before walking out the main gates. Ebenezer Bolger is a swindler and a cheat with an eclectic shop, which Bod walks into. Ebenezer Bolger is not usually willing to buy from children. They're more trouble than they're worth. But when he sees the brooch in Bod's hands, he invites him in for tea and biscuits in the back of the shop. Ebenezer Bolger offers a pittance of the priceless worth of the brooch, but must know where Bod got it from. Reluctantly, Bod tells him he got it from a grave. 
excellent. Ebenezer Bulger locks Bod in the back room just before he calls his cohort, Tom, to come over. The shop door opens and the tiny bell jingles, but no one is there. In the back room, Bod knows he should have trusted his first instincts and left. Examining his prison, he finds there seems to be no escape except through the shop front and there is nothing to use as a tool. Liza appears and asks him what he is doing and tells him he should go home, but Bod explains he can't fear it since he isn't in the graveyard. Liza doesn't trust Abenizer Bulger and goes out front to watch him as he and his associate Tom discuss the brooch and the possibility of more treasure. Abenizer Bulger tells Tom there may be more treasure, the boy, and holds up the business card the man Jack gave him years ago. Damn it! Oh no! That's a long game right there. Liza goes back to Bod, who is trying to fade, though he looks more likely to pop. Bod, frustrated, picks up a large paperweight and thinks he could use it to bash Ebenezer Bulger on the head and make a run for it. But Liza doesn't think that's a good idea and tells him what she overheard about the buried treasure, but not the business card. Bod finally admits he was trying to get money to buy Liza a headstone, and the witch is genuinely touched by Bod's kindness. Liza helps Bod to fade, and just in time, too, as Ebenezer Bolger and Tom check the back room for Bod. Not seeing Bod, Ebenezer Bolger locks the door again, and Bod and Liza overhear Ebenezer Bolger and Tom turn on each other, both possessive of the brooch and neither wanting to admit to the man Jack they lost the boy. When Bod and Liza escape the stockroom, they find the unmoving figures of Ebenezer Bolger and Tom, and the brooch glinting between them. Bod puts the brooch in his jacket pocket with the paperweight, a pot of paint, and a paintbrush. Liza tells him to also take the business card because it's very bad and can't be left with them. Reluctantly, Bod puts it in his pocket too. 200 miles away, the man Jack wakes up and sniffs the air. Something smells tasty. Back in the graveyard, Silas is waiting. Once they're home, Bod hands over the business card before taking the brooch back to the slayer's tomb. Later, Bod heads to the potter's field and paints on the large paperweight E.H. We don't forget, and places it on Liza's spot. Aww. That's so sweet. It's so sweet. One winter, Mistress Owens urges Bod out and goes on a cleaning spree, singing, Rich man, poor man, come away, come to dance the macabre. The whole of the graveyard seems busy cleaning and preparing, including young Fortinbras Bartleby, who is excited for tomorrow night but doesn't explain why. Silas arrives with clothes for Bod and teaches him to tie his shoes. Asking Silas about the macabre, he tells Bod it is a dance for the living and for the dead, and that he is neither and therefore has not danced the macabre. The next day, three men and a woman, the Lady Mayoress, come to the graveyard to cut the white winter blossoms growing there to distribute to everyone in the old town. The Lady Mayoress believes this is all stuff and nonsense. That night, Bod wanders the graveyard, not finding anyone until he approaches the gates and can hear music. Leaving the graveyard and following the sound, he sees the Lady Mayoress distributing the flowers. Bod approaches one of the men he saw earlier and asks for a flower, which is pinned to his jumper. 
Bod wanders around watching all the alive people swaying to the music. At midnight, walking down the hill, the ghosts come. Josiah Worthington steps up to Lady Mayoress and invites her to dance the macabre. Silently, the living and the dead join the dance, swaying and swapping partners. Eventually, the woman in grey on her horse comes to the dance and everyone waves or bows to her before continuing to dance until someone shouts, It is the last dance. Bod dances the last with the lady in grey. At midnight, the dead disappear and the living make their way home. The only signs of the revelry are the white flowers scattered about. The next morning, Bod is still exuberant about the dance, though his mother and Josiah Worthington seem to act like nothing happened. Josiah said the dead would not talk to the living if they had done the dance macabre together. Bod heads to Silas, who he saw watching the dance. Silas tells Bod, there are mysteries and things people do not talk about and ends the conversation. It starts to snow then, which distracts Bod. In a conference room, a man in a black suit stands before others, dressed similarly, and announces all the good deeds their group has done. The man Jack sits in the front row and is reminded by the white-haired man about his failure and that he needs to finish the business he started. Thackeray Porringer, 1720-1734, is marching around the graveyard trying to find Bod. Bod has taken his book, Robinson Crusoe, which his mother insisted he be buried with. Eventually, Thackeray finds Bod and, with a thump to his ear, takes his book back. Wandering around, Tom Sands tells Bod Silas is looking for him, so Bod hurries to the chapel. Silas wants to talk about where Bod came from and explains the night of the murders and his murdered family. Silas believes the person who killed them has unfinished business. Bod says then he must go to school because while he has learned a lot in the graveyard, he needs to know more. Silas relents and finds Bod a school. Teachers and fellow students alike barely notice or remember Bod when he is out of sight, because when he's out of sight, he's out of mind. Nick Farthing and Maureen Moore Quilling are a pair of bullies. Nick is the brawn and Moore is the puppet master. One day, Bod tries to stop another student, Paul, from paying his blackmail, which starts an avalanche of others refusing to pay. Moore says they need to stop Bob Owens, who is stirring things up. Nick and Moore follow Bod to a little churchyard, where Bod tells them to stop bullying people, but Moore orders Nick to hit him, and Bod fades, causing Nick's fist to land on a gravestone. Then Bod makes the fear rise in Nick and Moore until they run off home. Annabella Person, watching Bod and congratulates him, then suggests he try dreamwalking. The next day at school, Nick stabs Bod's hand with a pencil, and Moe tries to ridicule him. Silas is unsympathetic when Bod goes to him because he told Bod to keep to the shadows and tells him he won't return to school, but Bod refuses. Later, Bod walks into Nick's dream and twists it, urging Nick to change his ways. When he refuses, Bod points out that the terrors in the basement will get him because they're hungry for Nick. He should change his ways or fill the monster's bellies. Nick wakes 
screaming. And Bod can hear it from the street outside his house and is happy with a job well done. Bod plans to run away now. However, Liza stops him and urges Bod to come home. With a sigh, Bod returns to the graveyard. Before Bod can get too far, he hears Liza's disembodied voice urge him to fade, but it's too late and a police car pulls over. Inside the back seat is Moore, who accuses Bod of sneaking in her back garden and breaking things. The police harass Bod and put him in the back of the police car. En route to the station, the police drop Moore off home and she thanks one of them, who happens to be her uncle. Driving off, the two police officers start playing good cop, bad cop, as a huge shadow flies over them. Suddenly, a man is in front of the car and the police hit him. Bod recognises the man and says it's his dad. It's Silas. Before then, accusing them of unintentionally running over his dad after agreeing to frighten the kid more has been fighting with at school, which means that's their career over. As the policemen fight between themselves, Silas and Bod fade before Silas flies them home. Bod agrees not to go back to that school. Silas admits they need to do better to satisfy Bod's curiosity about the world. It is officially the worst week of Mo's life. Nick isn't talking to her, her parents are disappointed with her, her uncle is mad at her, and now she's doing the job she hates, tidying the science lab. Alone in the lab, it feels like all the eyes in the specimen jars are looking at her. Despite the heating being on, Mo is cold. The fear trickles up then. The dead things start moving in the jars and she spots Bob Owens in the shadows. Bod asks Mo if she's ever been haunted. A crash in the corner distracts her and when she turns back, Bod is gone. Silas was preoccupied and was leaving the graveyard more and more. Thankfully, Miss Lepescu was there for a short time to help until she had to go back to the old country. Bod is preoccupied by the man who killed his family and questions his mother, but she doesn't have many details and is reluctant to say, but does eventually tell him the man was called Jack. Scarlet has returned to town after years and years and is now a frustrated and annoying teenager who is frustrated and annoyed with her mother's decision to move back to a place she doesn't know after her parents' divorce. I kind of wonder, like, is she a coked-up tween? (laughs) But I guess she's a little, she's slightly older than that. She's a coked-up teen. No, she's not on coke. It's fine. It's fine. She's particularly frustrated and annoyed with the bus service. Getting the wrong bus home from her annoying and frustrating school, Scarlet ends up at a familiar graveyard where she meets a man making wax rubbings of the gravestones. He's nice enough and obviously a huge local history nerd. Worried about being late home, the man gives Scarlet a lift and introduces himself to Mrs. Perkins as Mr. Frost. Call me Jay. Mr. Frost endears himself to Mrs. Perkins, and she invites him to dinner. That night, Scarlet dreams about the graveyard and meets Bod wandering the headstones. It's a happy reunion, and Bod reminds her about their adventures. Bod has the urge to talk to Nehemiah Trott, poet, about the girl he used to know. 
in the, well, dramatic fashion, let's just put it in quotes, Trot tells Bod he must go forth. He also advises, when Bod asks, that revenge is a dish best served cold. Wandering through the twilight graveyard, Bod sees Scarlet reading a magazine, so he cautiously approaches. Scarlet is delighted that Bod is real and not imaginary, but then she has to leave, which makes Bod yearn for the world beyond the graveyard. Saturday morning, Scarlet returns to the graveyard, and Bod tells her about his family being murdered at number 33, but won't talk about Silas. Abruptly, Scarlet leaves to help Mr. Frost with his rubbings. Over a fish and chip lunch, Scarlet asks Mr. Frost about a local murder. He doesn't know anything, but suggests she check the library and takes her there when they are finished. In the newspaper microfiche, Scarlet finds an article about the murders, which took place in Mr. Frost's home. Scarlet calls him to tell him, and Mr. Frost says he will look into it. Bod heads into the Slayer's tomb for the first time in six years. He wants advice from the Slayer about leaving the graveyard, but the Slayer only confirms what he thought. He needs to do this alone. As Bod leaves, the Slayer almost begs for Bod to be its master, saying it will hold him in its coils forever and keep him safe until the end of time. But Bod declines. Outside, Scarlet is waiting for him, and together they head to Mr. Frost's house at number 33. Mr. Frost is excited to meet Bod. Over tea and biscuits, he explains what he has found out, that this house is indeed the house where the murders took place, and there was a boy who went missing, and no one knows why the murders happened, because everything seems to have been hushed up. Mr. Frost goes on to say that he found a letter, and because Bod's interest is personal, he'll show it to him. Together, they head to the very top of the house, to the room which was once the baby's room. As Mr. Frost reaches under the floorboards, Bod confirms he is the missing boy and that all he knows of his family's killer is a name, Jack. As Mr. Frost stands up straight, he confirms he is the man Jack, and in his hand is not a letter, but a large, sharp knife. It's time to finish this. That's such a good scene. I mean, obviously you know that it's coming and you know, like, it's not a surprise at all, but it's such a good scene. Oh, it's excellent. It's excellent. From below, Scarlet shouts up that there is someone at the door, which thankfully distracts the man Jack long enough for Bod to fade and run to Scarlet. He shouts that Mr. Frost is the man Jack, as Scarlet leaves through the front door, she encounters a white-haired man with three thug henchmen inquiring after Mr. Frost. She gives some lame excuses about him popping out before pushing past and walking to the graveyard. A faded bod encouraging her to walk quickly and not look back. Bod tells her they didn't feel like people. On the doorstep of number 33, the white-haired man debates about the girl and decides they need to go get her. 
The man, Jack, follows his nose and leaves number 33 after the white-haired man points out his failure. Again. The man, Jack, heads to the graveyard where Bod and Scarlet have just reached. The gates are padlocked, but thankfully Bod has the freedom of the graveyard and helps Scarlet through as if they were smoke. Just in time, too, as two of the henchmen arrive. Scarlet is sure they want to kill her, so Bod takes her to the Slayer's tomb to hide. The residents of the graveyard help keep track of the men as more scurry into the graveyard, and Bod uses the ghosts to his advantage. He tricks one henchman into Mr. Carstairs' open grave, and with Liza's help, Bod sits down, clearly visible, on an old and abandoned grave as bait. The white-haired man and his minion come across Bod, and in no hurry, they explain that they are members of the fraternal organization of the jack-of-all-trades, and they take magic from death and kill for protection. There was a prophecy that a boy would be born that would bring down their organization, and it seems the man Jack has failed to kill him. When the villain monologue is finished, Bod digs his fingers into the grave grass and says three words that open the ghoul gate. Two of the henchmen lunge and are sucked down into the ghoul gate. The white-haired man pulls a gun on Bod, but Bod explains the white-haired man's fate in the ghoul desert, then fades. The ground groans and shudders and the white-haired man falls into the ghoul gate, which Bod closes behind him. Meanwhile, the man Jack has followed his nose to Scarlet and finds her in the Slayer's tomb. Bod rushes to the Slayer's tomb and finds the man Jack holding a knife to Scarlet's throat. Bod tries to talk to the man Jack, but the man Jack wants to finish his work. The man Jack feels a presence and accuses Bod, but that's not Bod, it's the Slayer. The man Jack realizes that the stone, the brooch, the knife, and the goblet stand on is an altar stone, and he orders Bod to kneel on it. As he does, Bod tells the Slayer that the man Jack is the master he has been looking for. The Slayer manifests and seems to want to caress the man Jack. The man Jack does not fully understand, but takes delight in the power at his fingertips and agrees he is the Slayer's master. Bod tells the Slayer to protect his master. The man Jack is grabbed by the Slayer and seems to be pulled into the tomb walls. After they leave the tomb, Scarlet calls Bod a monster because she doesn't understand what happened and what Bod had to do. As Scarlet is about to run off, Silas takes her shoulder and tells her it will be best for her to forget. Silas takes Scarlet home, where she and her mother agree it would be a good idea to return to Glasgow. Silas takes Bod for pizza, since no one is trying to kill him right now. trying to kill you so let's go get pizza it's the right now bit <laughs> no one's, no one's trying to right kill now. you right now yeah specifically <laughs> so says let's go have a right pizza. now yeah <laughs> some time passes and now bod can't see the dead the animals of the graveyard are wary of him and the ivy seems to bar his passage sometimes Bod can't 
fade. When Bod does see the dead, he has very strange conversations, like they're saying goodbye. Liza asks if Bod will miss her because she will miss him. In the chapel, Bod isn't able to see through the dark anymore, so Silas lights a candle illuminating a large steamer trunk. Silas tells Bod he is able to guard himself now, and he must move on. Silas gives Bod a suitcase packed with his belongings, a wallet filled with money, and a passport in the name of Nobody Owens. Bod shakes Silas's hand, picks up the suitcase, and walks through the graveyard gates. Mistress Owens is waiting at the gate to wave her son off and tells him to leave no path untaken. (laughs) It's such a sweet ending, because no one's trying to kill him right now. Right now. (laughs) But right now, everybody gets to listen to this. Have you ever read a book and thought, wow, I would love to see this on the screen? Well, the Adapting Podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Emily Malik, host of the Adapting Podcast. And with a guest every episode, we take a look at books that have never been adapted, why that's so, and how we would go about translating it to a different medium. We talk about any novel from the serious to the downright silly, as long as it hasn't had an adaptation. So come and take a listen to the Adopt Me podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. This is the first time you read this one. What did you think of it? I really, How did you feel really about it? it? It's Neil Gaiman, so you're not going to go wrong for me. Right. And exactly. It's Neil Gaiman writing a creepy book for kids. I mean, come on. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I... I did really enjoy it. I've ended up listening to it, read, like reading it twice now. Mm. Um, it's a quick read. It really is a quick read. And I did see the graphic novels of the Graveyard books in a two-volume um, today, actually, on day after recording. How? So, did you buy them? So tempted. I'm really surprised that you didn't. You are, you are a book buyer. It, it's Yes, I have two hobbies. One is reading, the other one is buying. (laughs) They're distinct and can be done separately. No, I I got something else instead. I I was in the shops to buy something very specific, not to spend a lot of money on books. (laughs) I did buy one book, though. But it was a signed copy of Mish the the Bad Demon. I couldn't resist it. Buy the buy. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Buy the buy. Um... It's very likely I'll pick up the graphic novels at some point because I did really, really enjoy it and I do love a graphic novel and I you like do. seeing books being translated into graphic novels as well yeah, and vice versa. Um, but no, I really, really enjoyed it. It, it, yeah. it was that delightful side of creepy. And Neil yes. Gaiman's very good at making the reader's imagination fill in all the black banks and make it feel creepy for themselves. Like, it... Each chapter was kind of a distinct story because it was a distinct part of a point of Bod's life. So yes. baby, five-year-old, um, like nine, ten, ten year or old, so. yeah. and then teenager. Yeah. Um, so every one of them felt quite different and very self-contained, but with a very nice overarching storyline in between. 
which yeah. was the man Jack story, which was obviously resolved. Right. Um, so each it felt it was such a a smooth read, and it was an easy one to turn off at the end of a chapter. You know mm-hmm. how sometimes when you read it, oh, I'll just read one more. I'll just read one more. Yeah, and you could do that with this book. But because the chapter was quite a self-contained story, it was quite easy to turn off, especially when I was doing the summary and saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take that break now, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not a bad thing in my opinion. No, yes. I just really, really enjoyed it. And you know, yeah. I've really enjoyed Neil Gaiman as the narrator as well. He's very He's good. He's very good. So good. He can do accents. He knows how to pitch things at a creepy level. Mm-hmm. He knows how to do the casual. He can uplift in the conversation. His transition with Mr. Frost to the man Jack was mwah, chef's oh, kiss. Perfect. So good. So, it was so good. I really appreciate that too. Um, and I love that, you know, this is this is a middle grade book. So if you were a kid listening to this book, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't have picked up on it. You wouldn't know because Mr. Frost is such a delightful man. And he's like, oh, maybe Scarlet's mom and Mr. Frost are going to get married and they're going to be happy. And no, he's a murderer. No. Mr. Frost is a very bad, bad man. He's a very bad man. But I loved that scene, and I squealed about it a little bit when we got to that part in the summary. But I just loved that, like, you go up to the very tippy top of the house, and he's like, oh, yeah, I found this letter for you. And then, like, I could just feel him standing up, and he seemed to be, like, bigger and more imposing when he stood up as the man Jack instead of Mr. Frost. It was just so He well seemed done. to age as well, didn't he, as well? Like, yes. Mr. Frost gives off this quite... Um, youthful effervescence and it's it's because he's doing nerdy historian mm-hmm. um, which I always think a nerdy historian just seems to vibrate like an excited puppy yes. <laughs> and um, when he turns into the man Jack and he talks about the hair, he knows the man Jack's hair was dark but Mr. Frost's hair is not he's lightened up and he makes that comment about well things change things age and hair g- goes grey and you can feel the the man the transition of like his shoulders getting mm. bigger and broader it's almost like have you seen that clip of um Christopher Reeve when he's playing superman and he's in his Clark Kent and he and it was apparently a cut scene from one of the superman movies where he's Clark Kent takes off the glasses as he's looking into a mirror and kind of puts himself as as Superman wearing the suit and it's as if he's going to tell Lois Lane that he is Superman and you can see if you watch this clip of Christopher Reeve turning from this nerdy guy into this imposing authoritative figure that's like the transition that you get from Mr. Frost to the man Jack and you feel it in the words and in the narration. Mm. It's so mm. clever. So clever. I'm I'm not familiar with that Superman transition because I'm not a huge DC fan, so I haven't I haven't watched those. But it was going around on the social medias it. at a point, but I will I'm yeah. gonna dig that out and send it to you and you will go okay. Yes. 
I, I pretty yes. much guarantee okay. you will you'll say yeah that's the kind of transition that took place but yeah it was just yeah. it was so much fun it's been a million years it's been 84 years since you were read it first years. so does it still yes. stand up for you oh definitely i actually like it quite a bit more the second time and the reason why is because i listened to it this time the first time i read it i read it and it i mean it was it was good then but just hearing it the way it's meant to be read aloud since neil gaiman obviously you know he wrote it so he knows he knows Mm -hmm. the nuances that he wrote in he knows what each character's thinking and doing and feeling and what they're going to do later and what they were doing 20 years ago he knows everything about these characters so it just it makes the story so much better and i really i really enjoyed it much more this time not to say that i didn't like it when i read it originally but oh it's so good with his narration and i even liked that between each chapter there was like a little song you know to start the new story out and a little little like jingle sort of thing i thought that was pretty good yeah. although i do think that the music lasted a little bit too long and like i was struggling to understand some of the words at the beginning but it was still I, fun. It was a it fun was, transition. I 100% agree. I, I, if you and if you have heard us talk about audiobooks with music, little things in it during transition periods, I mean, we notoriously do not like it. Right. <laughs> we find it notoriously distracting. And I'm thinking, it hap- did it happen in the House of Night series? Uh, no, it happened in Vampire Academy. Oh gosh, yes. It. Oh my god, it was horrible. Um, yes, it, but it got to that point where we were expecting it, so we didn't mind it. But in this, I agree. Yes. The transition between each chapter with the music interlude did was nice. Did go on too long, and I did struggle to hear the first sentence. Yeah, because the, the the it was off. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So I think if if they had, if the music had faded out, like more apparently it would have been better mm-hmm. i like a good fade out i like a good well done fade out i also like a good well done fade which is a skill that bod learns but i want to be educated I, in a graveyard <laughs> i know i want to have the power of a graveyard because that was so cool i loved all of the things that he could do so cool well, I think we're going to have to add this into... Well, you know how we've got this ongoing educational reform? Yes. Um, I think Graveyard we need to skills add that. should be added? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's another life lesson. Is it a death lesson? Unlife lesson? Unlife lesson. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. So, of all of the stories... Oh think i i think that i like um even though i found it very annoying when bod goes to school and the kids are bullying him like at first i was like oh my god this is uh, this is annoying i hate these kids they're jerks but then bod (laughs) scares the ever-loving fuck out of them and i'm like yes and then when he gets 
captured by the police. I was like, oh, great. It's police brutality and the police are being terrible to someone. And he's like, oh, no, you hit my dad with a car. I guess that's the end of your careers. Shrug. And they're like, oh, shit. Yep. That was perfect. Such a good ending to that story. Oh, I, I, I. Nick was the thug. And he got his comeuppance as much as he needed it to be when he felt that fear. And that was beautiful. Ugh. I just, but I. More. In my oh. head, Nick pees his pants. Oh, gosh, yes, that definitely happens. Um, But more, like being the, the puppet master. I'm not going to call her the brains of the operation because she quite obviously no. didn't have any because she's a bully. Right. Um, When. <laughs> When she sets her uncle up to arrest arrest a minor, that's yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, I want to slap her so much. Sometimes, you know, I was like, sometimes you got to slap a bitch, and I don't care if she's fourteen. Sometimes you got to slap, slap a bitch. Yeah. Mm. And I just, mm. I was so angry. I'm like, she needs to get. This is not resolved. I was getting myself riled up a little bit, thinking she's not going to get her comeuppance. In the scene in the science lab, where Ugh. all of the specimens start twitching and looking at Ugh, her and wiggling, so good. loved yes. it, loved it. And then Bod, it's just so subtle, and his—it's not even a threat, is it? He asks a question: "Have you ever been haunted?" And then disappears. And then he disappears. And then so good. She is, you know, for life. She has been spooked for life. Yeah, she uh, has also peed her pants. She has also peed her pants. And it's perfect. Yes. I went, yeah. Um, yeah. Wish, so I, wish, wish I, have... I could have done that to my bullies at school. Oh, same. I have a question for you. Oh. oh. And it's, you know, when we were doing the summary and I was like, oh, that reminds me. There's something that I want to talk about. This is what I wanted to talk about. So Miss Lupescu is obviously a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Is Silas a vampire? He's not living. He's not dead. He's old. Mm-hmm. He doesn't eat. Mm-mm. He can fly. He gets hit by a car. He can fly. What's in his is steamer trunk? What is in his steamer trunk? Because he has to move a certain amount of things. He doesn't live at the graveyard. He says at the end that's not his home. His home is a long way away. So it could be maybe he's his got some grave uh, dirt in. He's got some grave dirt in there. I think. If you look at the illustration on the books as well, he's got a lovely. He um, looks like. A vampire. He's got that widow's peak. Yep, that says vampire to me. I'm pretty sure he's a vampire. I, I'm going to agree with that because I mean, not only is it all vampires all the time, but I agree. It was giving me vimpy vampy vibes. Because what else? What else could Silas be? Could be anything. He could be anything. But I think he's a vampire. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, 
The signs are there. The signs are there. I mean, he can... I don't know what else he could be, because he could be anything. But in, in my mind, he is a vampire. But he's neither living nor dead. He's not and it's ghoul. Just, he's not werewolf. He doesn't eat. He can he fly. Eat. He can fly. He can survive trauma. It it and it goes back to that like you know, when he that like the end scene when he's like, This is not my home and the large steamer trunk, which is very Dracula. Oh yeah. And he also think- says in his past he has done worse things than Jack. Yeah. And he's making up for it. He's a vampire. He might have been, you know, using some very pointy sticks in some very sensitive areas at one point. He might be a vampire <laughs> vampire slayer. Vampire, vampire hunter. Whichever you prefer to. Yeah. I'm, uh, all signs point to vampire. All signs point to vampire. And not just because all vampires all the time. Right. <laughs> so, speaking of that, he was he was my favorite character, I think, and also Miss Lupescu, because she made Bod eat borscht. <laughs> you will eat your beet soup. You will eat this vegetables. We'll eat he's vegetables. like, no, no, not vegetables. What no. is this? It is a salad. You will eat it. Oh. <laughs> one more bite. No, I'll vomit. No, one more bite. I love Miss Lepeshko. I agree. Yeah. But I also love Liza. Liza is also great. I really enjoyed Liza's story. Because you know, like, oh, there's a witch. You're like, oh yeah, there's a witch, there's a witch. Hello, this is a Neil Gaiman book about a boy living in a graveyard who's been raised by ghosts and has a vampire as a guardian. Of course there's a goddamn witch in the goddamn field. Come on. Of course. And I just... Of course. course. I felt... The way he describes Liza as having, like, a goblin face, that would have been pretty. And it's, yeah, it's because she got burned after being, you know, drowned yeah she's melted a bit. i really like when she was telling her story <laughs> i'm like yeah well you know they came to drown me as a witch and then i mean it kind of killed me a little bit but <laughs> then i came back and gave them all the plague so it's fine i really enjoyed that like yeah i just enjoyed i just enjoy eliza just every now and again she just pops up the word of advice or just something in his ear she was for me he's probably his best friend and his most long-term friend in that graveyard yeah, yeah. and i'm yeah i really i really like liked liza. i really liked the end of that story i mean liza's always there and helping him out whatever but i liked the end of that story where you know bod goes off to try to get her a little headstone and then he gets trapped and then he still gives her a headstone at the end and it's his burgled paperweight that he was gonna smash heads in with <laughs> but i really liked it i thought well. it was precious it was yeah. it really was the only thing i think she would have appreciated more is if he did smash somebody's head in and then use it as her headstone yes definitely yeah she would have liked that more 
<laughs> she would have liked the poor the poetry behind it and the similarities yeah. are to, somewhat to her own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you have any surprises? Um, I got a little of a surprise, but I will also say a, a little bit of a. I'm not going to say it's a disappointment, but a little bit of a a want. I would have liked more of the story about Silas and Mr. Pescu when they're off doing what they're doing. Yes. Um, With the Egyptian god, I can't remember who, I can't remember his name, but yeah, on their little quest, that was fantastic. I would love more of that story. You're right. Exactly. And I'm thinking, well... (laughs) Some people who have not read the book will listen to the summary going, uh, what? You didn't mention any of this? Like, no, because literally within the book, it was like three sentences at a time, if that. Yeah. Yep. And it could only be put in the summary if it was like full on quoting slash plagiarism. Yeah. You, know, you can always say these things in certain ways. And the fact that Miss Lepescu, you know, dives, dives off camera. Yeah. Is devastating. Um, and so, somewhat of a surprise, but really, you know, it, it, I was expecting it um, sure. because of the the journey that they were on. But I would have liked more knowledge on that. It's inappropriate for the story. The story is about Bod, which is fine. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. as the adult reading it with a child or just as an adult reading it, it's like, can I have that just inserted in the back as a novella for me, please? Yeah. What are they... I need more of their quest. I need to know more about this Egyptian guy too. What's what's his story? What's he up to? Yeah. There's something there and I'm like, come on. But I mean, you know, we don't need to we, we say we don't need a complete story, which is true. Um we can make up our own but We can make yeah. up our own. That that is what I was gonna say. We can give them their own adventures and they can be amazing. Well I mean we've already turned Silas into a vampire. Yes. I'm pretty pretty sure he's 100% a vampire. I all signs point to vampire. Um but in terms of surprise, it's the ending. They like basically kick Bod out of the graveyard and it's midnight. <laughs> yeah. That was <laughs> which that it was, was the middle of the day for the ghosts, but it's not the middle yeah. of the day. <laughs> no. That was shocking. Um I was also shocked that Silas somehow got bought a passport. He's a vampire who's got connections. But, like, your passports, like, have your photo on, don't they? And you got to fill out a lot of paperwork to get a passport unless you, you know, no get guy. one bootleg, which is which is what this is. But it's just, how, how, did, how did he get that passport? How did he get a photo of him? Where does might, Silas had, keep his camera? He might have had a photograph taken when he was at school. Mm, school he might ID. Have a school picture. Yeah, school ID. Yep. Yeah, or like sometimes, like often they'll take a picture of the child, and that's what gets put on their court hooks, lockers, or in their workbook files. Mm-hmm. Um, or then there's you know school picture day. So it could have yeah. been that way. But yeah, I don't know. And I mean, we're talking about a book where a child is raised by ghosts in a graveyard and werewolves and vampires. Are you, are and you telling me that it is not important? 
how facts he got a passport. Important. Yes, the facts are not. <laughs> I can't believe this is me saying it because I'm usually the one desperate for the facts. But yes, the facts are not important. <laughs> what is important is important. that Bod has been kicked out of a graveyard at freaking midnight. Yeah. There will be no bus yeah. service running when this book was written yeah. at midnight. And, and everyone's town. like, all right. <laughs> all right, peace. And like he can't see the ghost anymore, so I'm sure he just turns around and is like, well, fuck, what do I do now? You know, he's like 15 or 16, so he's going to have a little bit of an attitude. Like, the hell, man? What do I do? (laughs) Suddenly the teenage hormones ramp up to 11. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) He learns all the bad words in one fell swoop. Immediately, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Is there anything else we need to talk about, or is it time for Would You Rather? I think it's time for Would You Rather. We asked on social media, Oh no! You are being turned into a ghoul! Would you rather your first meal be the 31st President of the United States or Lord Mayor of London? (laughs) On Facebook, 89% are having the Lord Mayor. On Instagram, 60% are eating the Lord Mayor of London. And on TikTok, 100% are eating the Lord Mayor of London. It's a good job we've had quite a few of them. I was concerned we weren't going to get comments for this one, but we did, so I'm very happy, so thank you everybody. Emily yes, on I've Facebook. I've got some from the library too. Excellent. Well, Emily on Facebook said, I would eat the Lord Mayor of London because I have way too much respect for the 33rd President of the United States. Vincent on Facebook said, I can't be bothered traveling to America on an empty stomach, so Lord Mayor of London it is. Plus, a Lord Mayor back then would have been eating the finest stuff, so he'd be nice and juicy and tender. Somebody obviously wrote that before dinner. Colin on Facebook said, I'd go for 33. The Lord Mayor has a silly uniform with lots of furry bits that would no doubt get firmly in my teeth and irritate the hell out of me. The President doesn't have a uniform, just a suit, which, although it made Truman very dapper, will not impede my gnashing jaws nor grasping claws. I'd also like to point out that my phone's suggestion for an emoji to go with grasping claws was a lobster emoji, which I find very cute (laughs) and will also recreate for here for you now. Insert lobster emoji. Thank you for your attention. I hope you all have a wonderful evening here at the Tip Top Club. (laughs) Author friend Sparks Lily Rose on Instagram says, Good flank on that Lord Mayor. I don't know mm, which one she's talking flank. about, but good use flank. of the word flank. <laughs> good flank. Top commenter Glim Glam Jen on Instagram said, "Newly turned ghoul Glim Glam Jen is definitely eating the Lord Mayor of London. Start as you mean to go on this here, and I'd like to be a very classy ghoul. <laughs> Only the finest cultured meals for me." <laughs> well, Glim Glam Jen is my favourite. She knows how to come. She knows how to play the game. Crinoline Lefroy on Threads says, 
Having been to the Harry Truman House in Independence, Missouri, there is no way he could be my first meal. Going with Lord Mayor of London, because I know nothing about them. <laughs> Shrug. <laughs> what is the library having for their tea? The library says... <laughs> I feel like it's offensive. Hmm. London dude would have less flavor. So <gasps> I'm going to go with the president. Insert majestic eagle noise here. <laughs> I would also like to share something about the majestic eagle noise. I would like everyone to know that the majestic eagle noise that you hear whenever you see a majestic eagle in a video or on a TV is actually the voice of a um, red-tailed hawk, I believe. And I would like for everyone now to take a moment to go and listen to what an eagle actually sounds like, because it's fucking hilarious. It is not majestic. It is not. <laughs> Do we have unlicensed uh, access to a, a, an actual <laughs> eagle noise? Um, we have another comment on from the library. Lord Mayor of London, tails and top hats make it festive. <laughs> what are you doing? Do you know when I, I was looking for pictures for this? I was like, who's the famous Lord Mayors of London? Because I know who the current Mayor of London is. I know who the previous Mayor of London before that is, and he's an absolute fucking nut job, C-U-N-T, former Prime Minister, dickhead, has who's trashed the country and needs to be in jail. Um, and I would not want to eat either of them. <laughs> well, probably chalk on one of them. Um, the current Lord Mayor of London's not too bad. Um, but the only famous Lord Mayor of London I could think of was Dick Whittington. Okay. And I'm like, I don't want to eat Dick Whittington. Because he was, that was, that was a long time ago. But I also don't want to eat Harry Truman. Yeah, I feel like... And it's not because it's blasphemous or anything like that. If if, if you're an American listening to this, and you're like, oh, can't eat a president! Oh, oh, oh. What the fuck ever, I don't care. It, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's a man. Yeah, I mean, which man are you going to eat? I might have a charcuterie board of the different mayors of London. Because mm. then I can mix it up with ages and genders. Mm. Yes. You know? I think I think I might join you in that because I mean I don't have that um I don't have that many options here, you know, in the US. I don't have the different genders to choose from because we have only had white male presidents except for you know the one <laughs> the best one yeah by far yeah. would not eat president obama no. but i'll eat i guess i would probably eat harry truman or the lord mayor i mean hell let's just let's just cannibalize everyone 
let's let's just have for Obama. Except for Obama, let's just have a charcuterie board of famous writers, Lord Mayors, presidents. You just eat them all. Dukes, right yeah. honorables, yeah, Empress of China, you know. Yes. Oh, yes, the Emperor of China as well. Yeah, let's just eat them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather be able to fade or to cause terror? Oh, this is a good question. It's a very good question because those are both very cool skills. Yeah. I mean, when he caused terror to Nick and Mort was beautiful. So good. I feel like I could get up to more mischief with fading, though. Mm, yeah. I mean, sorry. I feel like I could use fading as a power of good more. Nobody that, that was a lie. That that was a lie. You just you just lied to everyone. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with fading because I think I've got more practical uses for it. Whereas causing terror, as fun as it would be to make people pee their pants and have those really cool dramatic moments. That's what I'm going for. Well, then we can team up. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Bod helped Scarlet fade a little bit and Silas helped Bod fade. So I feel like we could fade together with your powers Mm -hmm. and then I can just, you know, Make everyone pee their pants constantly with terror. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. All terror, all the time. All terror, all the time. All pee pants, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like, with every episode, there's always all something all the time. And it's typically all vampires all the time, but not always. I mean, we've had it. But terror. All okay. pee pants. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather spend a day with Silas or Miss Lepescu? You get salads with one of them and borscht. I do. I do get salads and borscht, which are very good things. But Silas is a vampire. Silas is a vampire, but he's not going to turn you into a vampire and he's not going to tell you about being a vampire. Well, Mr. Peshku yeah. is going to educate you in the monsters of the world and teach you how to right. survive them. So I'm going for Mr. Peshku. I think I will join you in choosing Miss Lupescu because also she knows a lot of languages. And I think that's really cool. And I would love... To learn how to say help, you know, in hellhound or ghoul or whatever millions of other languages she taught, Bod. So I bet there's no word for help. And then I would eat some borscht. You're probably right. Yes. Okay. Would you rather send your nemesis through the ghoul gate or Attach them to an ancient spirit for all eternity. 
Hmm. I'm going to send them through the ghoul gate. Oh, see, I'm going to attach them to the ancient spirit. Because, like, when they were down there with the Slayer, he felt like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get so much power from this and it's going to be amazing. And then he's like, Inside the walls now. Sorry, <laughs> I feel I like I like that better. Because mm. like if you're down there in the ghoul gate, you could be frolicking around with ghouls. You could be a ghoul yourself. You could eat presidents. Yeah, but being but a ghoul you, yeah. isn't all that great. I mean, the just yeah, horrible but, but, I mean, creatures. But the other guys just oh, sucked into what the is walls. more than likely going to be happening? Is you are going to be the meal. That's also true and also possible. And regardless, I mean, if you're the meal, your memories are gone. But if you get turned to a ghoul, you lose your identity from when you were alive. You you know, you're reborn as a ghoul. You don't remember your part of your old life. So you're no longer a threat. But if you're in, if you're with the ancient spirit, if you are trapped with the slayer, my worry would be that eventually you would be able to negotiate with the Slayer a certain amount of leverage. And nah, I feel like you're once you're sucked into those walls, you're gone. Yeah, I, I mean that's likely leave. that is more than likely what's happened. But I, I enjoy the idea of my nemesis being eaten by the ghouls. So after good. running scared and hiding in the ghoul desert thinking that they can survive and then no you can't mm. no no and not being a girl's no, first dog. meal so even your name is forgotten oh damn last question which jack of all trades name would you rather have nimble dandy frost catch or tar I kind of, I mean, as much as I like being a dandy, because it's one of my favorite things when we dress up It's a name and an aesthetic. Yeah. And I also like Frost. It's very good. But I feel like right now with this book and this vibe that we've got going on, I think I'm going to go Jack Ketch. Yes. Because Jack Ketch is like what you call people who do you know beheadings that's i i am sam i am sam yeah that that's the one that speaks to me yeah let's just do some beheadings would we be jack of all trades or would we be james of all trades i mean i like i like jack of all trades i like jack about jack is a, a a genderless name now I yeah, can, can be Jack. Jones. There's a very oh, there's a very good female Jack in the Wayward Children series by Shauna McGuire. Very good Jack. It's my favorite character in all of those books, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> <sighs> Jack's the best one, though. Nice. Okay, favorite final thought quote. Oh, this lords. So many. Mm. I've got five. If that 
changes your mind about anything that you're about to say? Hmm. <laughs> and mine are mostly like meaningful too, so oh. that's a surprise. Oh, and I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, I'm gonna give you a fun one first. Plague pits is good eating. <laughs> If you dare nothing, then when the day is over, nothing is all you will have gained. Ugh. Really, he thought, if you couldn't trust a poet to offer sensible advice, who could you trust? <laughs> oh, I, I like the final words from Mistress Owens. Face your life, it's pain, it's pleasure. Leave no path untaken. Ah, oh, that's a good one. I also like Eliza's um, spell to help Bod fade. Behold, be dust, be dream, be wind, be night, be dark, be wish, be mind. Now slip, now slide, now move unseen. Above, beneath, betwixt, between. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like betwixt. Yes, yes. It's a good word, mm. betwixt. Mm, it's very witchy. I love it. Oh, I'll give you this last one which is a, a little conversation between Bod and Silas. Little, it's freaking huge. It's only death. I mean, all my best friends are dead. Yes, Silas hesitated. They are. And they are, for the most part, done with the world. You are not. You're alive, Bod. That means you have infinite potential. You can do anything, make anything, dream anything. If you change the world, the world will change. Potential. Once you're dead, it's gone, it's over. You've made what you've made, dreamed your dream, written your name. You may be buried here, you may even walk, but that potential is finished. I actually pulled a part of that for one of my my favorite oh, quotes. You have infinite potential. You can do anything, make anything, dream anything. If you can change the world, the world will change. I just think that's beautiful. So yeah. I highlight Just pulled a little bit highlight so good yeah what other so ones have you got good. people want to forget the impossible it makes their world safer yeah um this one's this was kind of fun he would go somewhere no one knew him and he would sit in a library all day and read books and listen to people breathing <laughs> i think that's beautiful mm -hmm. however as someone who spends all day in a library sometimes people don't make good sounds when they're breathing and it is not something peaceful that you want to listen <laughs> <laughs> sorry bod let me just let me just throw that one at you there <laughs> people breathe like Darth Vader <laughs> Uh, you are ignorant, boy, said Miss Lepescu. This is bed. And you are content to be ignorant, which is worse. Yes. Preach, Miss Lepescu, preach. Yes. Um, and then <laughs> my last one. Name the different kinds of people, said Miss Lepescu, now. Bod thought for a moment. The living? He said, the dead? 
He stopped. Then, cats? He offered uncertainly. (laughs) Cats? Cats? I love it, and it also makes me think of Twilight, where Edward is explaining what people are thinking about (laughs) all the time. Sex, money, sex, money, cat. Oh my god. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so yeah. accurate. <laughs> okay. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? Anna Dressed in Blood by Kondara Blake. So it isn't oh all the book. God. But, it oh, it's getting book. a re-release with a beautiful new cover. Yes, and additional content. Oh, I need it. Yes. And it's happening, I want to say, the 19th of September, a couple of weeks. It's so soon. Um, so yeah. It's kind of like um, a bit of one of these where I would say, we, if we, we, I would love to cover it. But because it's been out for so long, it's kind of like a, we're a bit late to the party. Like We should have covered this well, a long time ago. You know, Claire, we have a brand new season of Fictional Hangover we starting do. next month, which is year season fucking six, six of Breaking the podcast. Act. So I think it would be delightful if we add late to the party. And I mean, this is something that you suggested off podcast. And I mean, we just really need to do it. We need to have yeah. late to the party where we talk about stuff that's really, really old or stuff that's like exceptionally popular that we, you know, haven't talked about yet because it's kind of old. So I think we should ask listeners too if they have any suggestions. I agree. I think it would be cover. really fun to see what other people think. Yeah. We, we should have talked about by now. <laughs> Yeah, really. Twilight was one of them. Where have we been? Twilight 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 series was one. I mean, Vampire Academy has been out for a long time. House of Night's been out for a long time. We've got some good ones. We haven't got Hot Pterodactyl Boyfriend. Oh my god. (laughs) White Hot Kiss, though. White Hot Kiss came out a long time ago. Fallen came out a long time ago. Like, That's it. And when we were talking off podcast, we were able to list a few. But I want the listeners to tell us off and say you should have covered this by now. Yeah, I would appreciate that too. Listeners, please tell us. Tell us on social media. Maybe we'll make a post about it. I was literally just about to say, stop suggest- reading my mind, you witch. Witch. Betwixt. Oh my god, will you please tell everyone about Anna Dressed in Blood? Yes, I will. The summary from Goodreads. Cast Lorden has inherited an unusual vocation. He kills the dead. So did his father before him, until he was gruesomely murdered by a ghost he sought to kill. Now, armed with his father's mysterious and deadly anathemir, Cast travels the country with his kitchen witch mother and their spirit-sniffing cat. They follow legends and local lore, destroy the murderous dead, and keep pesky things like the future and friends of Bay. Searching for a ghost the locals call Anna dressed in blood, Cass expects the track hunt kill. What he finds instead is a girl entangled in curses and rage, a ghost like he's never faced before. She still wears the dress she wore on the day of her brutal murder in 1958, once white, now stained red and dripping with blood. 
Since her death, Anna has killed any and every person who was dared to step into the deserted Victorian she used to call home. Yet she spares Cass's life. Oh, the story's so good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just the linking to the fact that, you know, it's a bit of a late to the party, like the graveyard book. There's the ghosts right. in there. There's the murder, the grisly murders in there. The spirits, you know, yeah. the magic. Um, so it's kind of like hashtag tenuous link with hashtag oh. segue. <laughs> oh, I love that book, but I love everything that Kendara Blake. Kendara Blake is freaking so good, amazing. She's so good. I was just it's talking just so about nice. her today. I know she's amazing. I was just telling new super fan Lindsay about our Halloween episode where everyone was dressed up super scary and she wore a turkey on her head. Legend. She's amazing. Absolute legend. She is amazing. What is your recommendation by that? Well, my recommendation is Nightmares by Jason Siegel and Kirsten Miller, and I'm pretty sure that I suggested this one the last time we talked about a Neil Gaiman book, but I, I, I try not to repeat myself. Some books but this do one's bear just repeating. Really good. Yeah, this one's just, it's good, and it's middle grade, which also is a hashtag tenuous link to the graveyard book. Sleeping has never been so scary. And now waking up is even worse. Mm. Charlie Lard has several problems. His dad married a woman he is sure moonlights as a witch. He had to move into her purple mansion, which is not a place you want to find yourself after dark. He can't remember the last time sleeping wasn't a nightmarish prospect, like even a nap. And how dreadful would that be, everyone, if you can't take a nap? I love naps. What Charlie doesn't know is that his problems are about to get a whole lot more real. Nightmares can ruin a good night's sleep, but when they start slipping out of your dreams and into the waking world, that's a line that should never be crossed. And when your worst nightmares start to come true, well, that's something only Charlie can face. And he's going to need all the help he can get. Or it might just be lights out for Charlie. For good. Dum, dum, dum! <laughs> that sounds very good. It does sound very good. It's fun. Uh, it's a fun book. <laughs> do we have a new and indie spotlight? Yes, we do. Um, this one came to us from NetGalley. And it's called Who Haunts You by Mark Wheaton. And it is out day of recording tomorrow. So day of listening, it came out over the weekend, September 2nd. High school senior Rebecca Bex Kotal is trying to make it to graduation. But when her fellow seniors begin dying in seemingly unrelated incidents... Bex uncovers disturbing connections between their deaths, including that the teens believed they were haunted by long-dead relatives their own family members swear never existed. After Bex is visited by a malevolent specter of her own, she realizes she has to get to the bottom of this horror 
before she's its next victim. Ooh. 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 Spooky. <laughs> Sometimes there are no words, only ooh. <laughs> ooh. Oh my god. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Two Can Keep a Secret by Karen M. McManus. Ooh, it's been a long time since we've done a Karen McManus book. That's fun. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok, and YouTube at fictionalhangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.